Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I think I'm not wrong. Down for 911, we're for emergency. Oh, this is Sandy. We're pretty one look. Talk to the road. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out, that's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, I wear a male car with his hands, look how he tails with his hands and pull the head of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little Cherub of face, cherub face little boy who would who who who's who's light would be. I'd harm someone if I kill someone to be an enormous amount of uh, especially at first. Uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Femme fatale and spoilt brat Robin Lindholm loved horses and manipulating men. When she found her lovers to be no longer useful, she would organise to have them murdered. Like some kind of dark spider that roots and then kills her mate, her hubris and greed would be her undoing. See, I didn't use that spider thing. That yeah, you don't I don't like, being... like the term Black Widow. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. lazy, I did so it. that was very good work, Barney. Thanks, I did it. At 11pm on the night of June 9th, 1994, Paul Curry called 911 and reported his wife Linda was unconscious and not breathing. When the paramedics arrived, they were unable to revive her. Linda Curry's cause of death was massive acute nicotine poisoning. But how did non-smoker Linda come to die in such a way? Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraband. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Being a comedy true crime podcast means that we use dark humour as a means to tell horrendous stories. Though they're never at the expense of the victims or their families, we do make jokes. As our warning said, we use explicit language. This means we sometimes swear. Yep. If you prefer your true crime podcast to be serious and use safe for work language, then bloody murder may not be for you. If you don't like the genre of comedy true crime and you don't think humour and tragedy have any business being associated with each other, then Bloody Murder is definitely not for you. There are lots of great serious true crime podcasts out there and your time may be better spent listening to them instead. On this podcast, we do talk about murders and bloody ones at that. As such, this episode may contain, well, murder. Violence. Sexual assault. Dismemberment, cannibalism, palm oil, and gluten. It may also contain traces of nuts. Oh, it'll definitely contain traces of nuts. 
Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, you can go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to dozens of other episodes, including our inebriated and majestic early stuff. <laughs> as well as exclusive, uncensored, patron-only monthly episodes where we really let fly. And levels above $5 receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges. And of course, you're automatically entered into our monthly giveaway. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Linda Kincaid worked for the Southern California Edison Nuclear Generating Station for 27 years. But Linda was no Homer Simpson. She'd started out as a secretary, but her sharp mind and ambitious nature saw her climb up the ranks to management positions. In 1989, 45-year-old Linda was the training coordinator at the plant when a new engineer named Paul Curry caught her eye. 32-year-old Paul loved nothing more than regaling his co-workers with stories about how he won thousands of dollars on Jeopardy twice in the 1980s and was a member of Mensa, the International Society for People with High IQs. Smarty Pants Paul wore smarty pants and liked talking about being a smarty pants. Even Alex Trebek rolled his eyes. Nobody likes a smart ass. Well, not most people. Though some of his co-workers found Paul's arrogance and smartest-guy-in-the-room attitude off-putting, Linda wasn't one of them. In fact, she was quite impressed by his intellect and go-getter attitude. Is that what you like about me, Tara? <laughs> yeah. Paul had an uncanny ability to turn on the charm faucet when need be, and soon he and Linda began dating. According to the TV show 48 Hours, even Linda's most cynical friends were envious of the way Paul treated her and went so far as to say that he doted on her. He was strangely obsessed with making salad dressing and would always be getting Linda to try his new creations. He also ran her big, luxurious bubble baths for her to soak away her stress every evening. Why don't you do that for me, Tara? Because I fucking hate you and... I live on the other side of town. It's just not practical. Well, you could have just done that logistics thing. You didn't have to tell everybody oh, that I you mean, hate me. You asked. Well, thank you for your honesty. Oh, yeah, wouldn't it be rude to like only partially answer that question? Yeah, it would. Three years after they met, on September 12th, 1992, the couple ran off to Las Vegas and got married. Linda had been married twice before and hoped the third time would indeed be a charm. It seems Paul had not told Linda about the spousal support he was paying to his ex-wives or that he had children, and he definitely didn't mention the circumstances that his second marriage had ended under. That's a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, that's something you'd open with on a first date, that you have children. Yeah, most people don't sort of act secretive about it, do they? Because mm, isn't that a selling point? Like, a guy has kids, that means he's, like, responsible and... Yeah, it can be. I mean, if he has kids but never sees them, though, that doesn't necessarily yeah. make you endeared to him. With both their salaries combined, Paul and Linda made over $140,000 per year, but Linda noticed that their finances had gotten tight for both of them. Linda had always been a fashionista who enjoyed fancy clothes and the finer things in life. Much like yourself, Barney. Well, thanks for noticing, Tara. Oh, you're welcome. I do put an effort in. Yes, um, yeah, you, you do. Uh, when was the last time you showered? Uh, well, it was just this month. <laughs> that is special because it's the 22nd today. Well, it could, be, could have been yesterday. It could have been today. That's this month. 
could have been three weeks ago. Could have been three weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, it wasn't Linda's taste in clothing that was where the financial stress was coming from. The drain was caused by Paul supporting not one, but two ex-wives and three children, which was news to Linda. But they don't call it a honeymoon period for nothing, and Linda soon accepted this situation. A month after they were married, Paul asked Linda to apply for a $1 million life insurance policy with him as the sole beneficiary. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. So... One million dollar life insurance policy. What could possibly go wrong? Now, this did surprise Linda as she already had several policies that Paul would benefit from as a result of her untimely death. Linda spoke to her insurance agent ex-boyfriend Bill Sardetto about Paul's suggestion. Bill thought the idea sounded fucking nuts and advised her not to do it. No, he's not... uh... Backwards and coming forwards, is he? I like this guy. I like Bill. He also recommended that Linda take Paul off her existing policies as soon as humanly possible. In July 1993, just before their first wedding anniversary, Linda was struck down with a mystery illness. Her stomach pain, diarrhoea and vomiting became so intense that she needed to be admitted to the Samaritan Medical Centre in San Clemente for three whole weeks. During this time, she had a stroke which nearly killed her. Doctors were unable to establish what had caused Linda to become so violently ill, but they suspected that she'd been poisoned. Now, people listening, you can't just assume that this poison story is going exactly where you think it will, because it has some things that happen in it that I have never heard of. Paul visited Linda in hospital often, bringing her flowers and gifts and fawning over her. After Paul left the hospital one day, a nurse noticed that Linda's IV bag was unusually cloudy. Upon further inspection, it became obvious that it had been punctured several times and was laced with lidocaine. So lidocaine is a local anaesthetic. Uh, Common side effects with intravenous use include muscle twitching, changes in vision, numbness and vomiting. It can also cause low blood pressure and an irregular heart rate. Just not something that someone who nearly died of a stroke really needs. Makes you like Coldplay. Oh, God, don't even say that, Barney. After this incident, Linda confided in her sister Patricia that she was worried that Paul was poisoning her. But when she saw Paul again, he was able to convince her that he wasn't in any way involved in her illness or the sabotaging of her IV. After the hospital informed the police about the incident, they came and questioned Linda and recorded the interview on cassette tape. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Hey. The police asked her, if somebody were trying to do something to you, if they were trying to poison you, any idea who would try to do that? Linda replied, well, the only person I could think of that would have a motive to do it would be Paul, and the only motive I can think of is money, but I don't want to believe that or think that. The officers asked Linda to tell them the things that made her think Paul was trying to kill her, and also the things that made her think that he wasn't. Oh, make a list. Yeah, make it like, you know, the pros and cons kind of listicle. Smart. Mm-hmm. So in terms of why she suspected Paul, Linda said that he seemed to be sneaky, dishonest and rather obsessed with her money. She said that when he came into their marriage, he didn't have anything, but she had a nice big house, a nice car, jewellery and furs. That goes in the pro column, right? 
Um, no, no, the con con. Right. Mm, con. I know when you do it, you think it's pro, but it's con. Yeah, no. no yeah, I got it. Yeah, no. con. She told them that after they were married, Paul wanted her to change all of her bank accounts and credit cards into his name and make him the beneficiary on all of her life insurance policies. Again, in the con column. Yeah, definite con column. Linda also said that she and Paul didn't have sex anymore after they were married. Well, that's pretty normal. Is there a third column? Um, yeah, so it's just yeah. the, it's the Barney column. Uh, she also said she was a tad curious why a man 13 years younger than her wanted to marry her in the first place. Mm, again, in the third column. Well, Jason Momoa is 12 years younger than Lisa Bonet and they seem happily married, Tara. True. And film director Sam Taylor Johnson is 23 years older than her actor husband Aaron Taylor Johnson. But you've got to admit that in our delightful society, it's usually the older man marrying the younger woman. Yeah, I guess so. Linda told the police that she was sure Paul would never try to kill her because he treated her well and she thought that he was a nice guy. Noticing one side of the argument had way more evidence than the other, Linda told the officers, Boy, I have a lot more going one way than the other, but to me, the nice person sort of offsets a lot of things. When officers asked if she thought Paul loved her, Linda replied, I want to believe that he does. He certainly is convincing. That's a lot of red flags, Tara. There certainly is. I feel like we're in the middle of a Chinese flag parade, Barney. Uh, Did she stay with him? Yes. Like, despite all of her suspicions, Linda stayed with Paul because obviously she wanted to believe that he wouldn't hurt her. But just in case she was wrong about him, she removed him as the beneficiary on some of her life insurance policies. Linda regained her strength and was released from hospital after 21 days. She felt better for a while, but five months later, in December 1993, she was struck down with the same symptoms as before and hospitalised again. Whoa. Yeah. This time, Paul made sure to take her to a different hospital, probably in the hope of avoiding suspicion. Hmm. I'm sure that didn't work. The hospital may have been different, but everything else was a demented version of Groundhog Day. After one of Paul's doting visits, the alarm on Linda's IV bag went off, the nurse found Linda's IV tubing had been tampered with and there was fluid pouring out of her IV line. The hospital staff went so far as to put up a sign on Linda's door forbidding Paul to enter her room alone. Whoa. The police were called to interview Linda again and in the tape-recorded interview, Linda told police that although Paul was spending money like it was going out of fashion, which it isn't, she couldn't bring herself to truly suspect him. Money still is fairly popular. Yeah, it's pretty fashionable, i got to say. Oh, yeah. She told them, he's a wonderful man, I love him and he's always been good to me. Later on, after Linda was released from the hospital, she told her sister Patricia that if she ever got sick again, she did not want Paul coming near her in the hospital. So by this point, Linda knows, right? Like, at least part of her knows. But Paul always found a way to goldlight Linda out of suspecting him and convince him that he was on her side. I believe it's called gaslighting, Tara. No, Barney, it's called goldlighting. It's always been called gold lighting. Oh, sorry, my mistake. Anyway, abusers don't get to keep abusing their partners without being charming and convincing enough to win them over again, or in this case, pretend that they've done nothing wrong. Then you add the social pressure of being a woman pushing 50, not wanting to be alone or looked down upon or felt sorry for because you're single, which some people's families do. It's 
bloody ridiculous. And not wanting the stigma, possibly, of admitting that someone took advantage of you. Like, it's all a bit of a perfect storm, really. Six months later, Linda got sick again, but this time she wouldn't be lucky enough to make it to hospital. On the night of June 9th, 1994, Paul told police he and Linda decided to go to bed early. Then he said at around 11pm, their cat was making weird sounds, which woke him up, but not Linda. After noticing Linda was not breathing, he called 911 and performed CPR on her until the paramedics arrived. They found Linda lying on the bedroom floor next to a pool of vomit. Unfortunately, they were unable to revive her and Linda was pronounced dead. Although Linda was a non-smoker, she died from a massive acute nicotine poisoning. Her autopsy not only revealed fatal levels of nicotine in her system, but also very high levels of Ambien, which is a sedative. Hemorrhaging consistent with a needle puncture was discovered behind Linda's right ear. Linda's friends wondered if Paul had drugged Linda by putting something in his special salad dressings he was constantly feeding her, or by somehow drugging her bubble baths. One day after Linda's funeral, Paul began applying for her life insurance payouts. See, people grieve in different ways. Some people get very depressed and question the fairness of life. Others want to go by a speedboat. It wasn't until after her death that Paul discovered Linda had written a note giving her sister approximately half her estate. Pissy Paul was fucking pissed. Didn't see that one coming, did you, smarty pants? Ha! Yeah. But Linda had also left Paul her house and around half a million dollars in her estate as well. It's like she was kind of half thinking that he did it and half not. Like, mm. she was in two minds about the whole thing, obviously. And yeah. That's quite apparent with what she did with her estate. Paul tried to make Linda's sister Patricia sign over all the policies Linda had left her to him. He even tried bribing her, right, by giving her a personal item of Linda's, which was her Rolex watch that she always wore. Linda might have fallen for his charm, but Patricia saw Paul for the revolting shitheel he was and flatly refused. So the revolting shitheel filed a claim against Patricia on the disputed policies. But he didn't win. Suck it. He also filed a false insurance claim on the Rolex, claiming that it had been stolen, and he was awarded $9,000 for his lies. Oh, he just can't help himself, can he? I, well, I mean, I don't know. He's just revolting, really. You think he doesn't help himself. You'd think you'd be happy with um, a house and a half a million dollars, but oh, he just no. had to get that extra nine grand. Nah, he's a big greedy guts. He uh. just wants to get his, his sticky, sticky fingers all over everything and then make uh. you eat some salad dressing. Here, Barney, I've yeah. made some new salad oh, dressing. Put I that drew in you a bath. Yeah, get in the bath and eat the salad dressing. It'll help you relax. After Linda died, the police interviewed Paul and he denied any involvement in her death. According to Paul, he hadn't cashed in any of her life insurance policies. In fact, he claimed that he and Linda hadn't even talked about life insurance because he just couldn't even bear the thought of imagining that she might die one day. Mm. <gasps> bullshit. Sorry, just had to do a bullshit sneeze. Paul told the cops that he hadn't gained financially from Linda's death and even went so far as to say that her untimely passing had cost him money. Well, sir, I was actually inconvenienced by the whole debacle mm -hmm. and left quite short money-wise. <laughs> and then he asked if he could borrow 20 bucks. 
When they questioned him more about this, the police cornered him into revealing that he'd just bought a brand new Cadillac. Well, Barney, you see people grieve in different ways. Some people cry, other people buy brand new Cadillacs. It's all part of life's rich tapestry, really. My tapestry when you die is to get a jet ski. Despite there being no other suspects, police were unable to make a case against Paul. They couldn't link him to Linda's death as there was nothing to connect him to the nicotine, the sleeping pills or even a syringe. The difficulties surrounding the case had to do with how unusual a choice nicotine was as a murder weapon. And as such, there were very few experts on the subject. If nicotine is ingested in large doses, it becomes a poison that will cause vomiting, stomach pains, diarrhoea, headaches and breathing problems, Um, also convulsions, cardiac irregularity and can result in a coma. Death occurs because your respiratory muscles fail. They just become paralysed. It's not nice. No, it wouldn't be. This horribly frustrating case remained unsolved for years. After Linda died, Paul Curry was transferred from his old job at the nuclear power plant. That's when a routine security check found that his resume was a laundry list of lies. He was not, nor had he ever been, an engineer. Hell, he hadn't even gone to college. The facade he'd put up of being a super brainiac Mensa genius was made of shit and it was dry and starting to crumble. Oh, this makes me very happy. I'm sure it does. So Paul did what anyone in his position would do. He became a used car salesman. It sounds like the role he was born to play. Absolutely. He moved to Kansas, remarried and had a son. Then he put on his flame retardant pants and lied his way into being hired as a building inspector. Oh, come on. If the Wizard of Oz has taught me anything, it's that munchkins are handsy little fuckers who sexually harass Judy Garland and Kansas needs qualified building inspectors to protect them from tornadoes. Wow. You know, I've always thought about those two things being completely unconnected, but thank you for joining the dots for me there, Tara. yeah, Kansas. By the way, that's true. They did molest Judy Garland. Yeah. In 2007, 13 years after Linda's death, her case was reopened. This time, detectives found themselves a nicotine expert, and it would make all the difference. Dr. Neil Benowitz, who was an eminent nicotine expert... Not just any kind, but an eminent one. Oh, you've got to get the top one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And professor of medicine at the University of California was brought in to examine the case. Despite his experience, um, he'd never actually seen a case of nicotine being used as a murder weapon and had only read about it happening in books. He found and later testified that soaking the tobacco and boiling down the extract could make a deadly poison out of a packet of cigarettes. Just one pack? Yep, one pack. And that the nicotine injection would have killed Linda within 20 to 30 minutes. Now, this was a game changer as Paul had been the only person with Linda during that period. In fact, they'd actually spent an entire evening alone together. So unless the cat suddenly got able to do dark shit, it could only have been Paul. Paul was finally arrested for murder and insurance fraud in November 2010. The detectives played him some of the tape-recorded interview that Linda had with the police following her hospitalisation in 93. Asked to comment on Linda's suspicions of him, Paul said it was unusual and nostalgic to hear her voice. Way to dodge the question, Paul. Yeah. Paul denied they'd stopped having sex after they were married and said that he had always been with Linda for love, not money. He also denied making the false insurance claim on Linda's Rolex, but after cornering him, Paul had to admit that he'd filed the claim. Who said it was a big mistake? 
When the case finally came to trial, 20 whole years after Linda's murder, the prosecution's theory was that Paul incapacitated Linda by sedating her with Ambien that he could have hidden in her food or drink. Then once she'd passed out, he injected nicotine behind her ear and disposed of the evidence so the greedy little prick could collect on her life insurance policies. Now the defence, well, they had theories too. Rage-inducing, completely ridiculous theories. Oh, should I strap myself in for this absurdity? You might want to put on a helmet. All right. They presented evidence that Linda had a variety of physical ailments, including Epstein-Barr virus and chronic fatigue syndrome, and that she suffered from anxiety and depression. Based on this evidence, the defence claimed that Linda had been so depressed and in pain that she decided to commit suicide by giving herself a nicotine enema. That, what? Yeah. What? That's adding insult to homicide, isn't it? Not to mention the fact there were no nicotine-stained enema kits found in Linda's home. Now, the, the defence had an alternative theory, though. Do you want to hear what that was? Yeah, okay. Okay, so their alternative theory was that Linda may have died accidentally by giving herself a nicotine enema. All roads lead back to a nicotine enema. I'm glad I strapped myself in. They justified this by saying that Linda had once told her doctor she had taken some Chinese herbs. So, yeah, anyone who's ever taken a herbal remedy has, of course, given themselves several nicotine enemas. Now, it is not a short journey from Chinese herbs to nicotine enemas. It is a long and winding imaginary yellow brick road. There is absolutely no evidence Linda ever gave herself an enema, let alone a nicotine one. But, and it's a huge but that blocks out the sun and causes all the plants to die, even if there was evidence of an enema, it would not explain the toxic levels of Ambien in Linda's system. (sighs) For God's sake! The defence's insulting and absurd theories were also blown out of the water by evidence that Paul may have tried to poison his ex-wife, Leslie Curry, as well. Leslie testified that in the late 1980s, while she was married to Paul, she came down with a mystery illness that made her weak and disoriented. Leslie thought she might have Lyme disease, but doctors were unable to find a cause for her illness. At the time, Paul worked his genius manipulation magic on Leslie and convinced her to apply for life insurance. But the insurance company rejected her application. I'm not sure why. They, I couldn't find a reason. So anyway, um, because she couldn't get life insurance, uh, Paul divorced her. After Paul was gone, all of Leslie's ailments miraculously disappeared. But, you know, it is possible that she was just allergic to assholes. I guess. Well, she definitely dodged a nicotine enema, didn't she? Well, yes, she definitely did. So in light of this testimony and all the evidence, the jury found Paul guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So now he spends all his time giving himself toilet wine enemas. And that's the end. Wow. Yeah, he's just going to be lying around in a prison cell giving himself toilet wine and instant coffee and, well, nicotine enemas until the day he does. Right. Sounds great. 
How about that as a uh, as a um, defense as a, theory? Wow, what a murder weapon! Ju- uh, well, I'm just thinking about this defense theory, though. Yeah, the nicotine enema uh, is it, what the. F- it's so absurd. It's and, really insulting and also too. It, I it think it wasn't found in the house. So no. what, was it made out of ice and it melted afterwards? Yeah, it was. A, you know, maybe it was one of those um, invisible nicotine enema kits. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you can't see them unless you're also wearing a cloak well, of invisibility. Well, they're quite common. There's actually 14 of them in the room right oh, now. Can you see them? No. No. I can't see any, but um, no, doesn't mean they're not there. Well, it doesn't surprise me that you would have that many. Uh, they're not mine; they're my girlfriend's. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, women are more into it. Oh yeah, no. Well, especially like I, I I think I've seen um your girlfriend drink a cup of herbal tea before. So I mean, obviously, she's into nicotine. Well, yeah, it is a gateway thing. Yeah. What the hell, man? Mm, I love that. Like, oh, she either did it on purpose to kill herself, or she did she just did it and died by accident. Like, what we know for certain. So, Barney, what time is it? It's True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time. True Crime Nerd Time. I love True Crime. True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, poem, doodle done on a napkin, or a bodily eruption. Oh, a bodily eruption? Or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch, Tara. Are you itchy? Uh All over. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or get off the mixing desk cat. Or write it and we'll read it out. He seemed pretty pleased with himself there. He really did. I like it when he pressed that button earlier and it made it go, wow, wow. Yeah, (laughs) the cat pushed that button before. (laughs) Anyway, Tara, we have a true crime nerd time here from Jason Phillips and he's from Youngsville in North Carolina. And he writes, I wanted to tell everyone about a book called Hot House inside Leavenworth Prison, which I read when I was younger that was really interesting and a different look at true crime. Author Pete Early was granted permission to spend two years within the walls of Leavenworth Maximum Security Prison in Kansas. Known as a hothouse, due to its lack of air conditioning, he spent time getting to know the wardens, guards and staff as well as five convicts. Was he just sick of paying rent? Seems like the answer to that, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I might do it myself. This book is a raw look at the life of those who are within the prison walls, be it by choice or by sentence. It delves into the prisoner's code, sex, sexual. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first hey, baby of the episode. <laughs> sexual exploitation of new inmates or fish, as they were called, and the persistent and palpable tension that permeates society inside. The most interesting inmate profile, I think, is Thomas Silverstein, who has the dubious honour of spending the most time in solitary confinement of any federal inmate, 36 years. Whoa. After the murder of Correction Officer Merle Klutz while in prison at Marion, he was being led to the showers by Klutz when he stopped in front of another inmate's cell, slipped off his cuffs and retrieved a shank. Now, I will just want to say, uh, Tara, that a shank is a homemade knife, Mm. not shitting and wanking at the same time. Oh, we should probably add shank references to our trigger warning. Yeah, yeah, shanking. Yeah, 
It's like cranking. That's when you're crying and wanking, but it's yeah. sort of more extreme. But this time we're talking about a homemade knife. Right, okay. Thank you for clarifying because I would have just assumed he was doing the first one. So he rushed Klutz and stabbed him dozens of times with the shank. That's a homemade knife. Yes. Due to this attack, he was given the security status of no human contact. That doesn't sound too bad. It sounds great, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Was he allowed to have a dog? Yes. No. No, probably not. No it, dog contact. No. There's a fucking sentence. No corn chips for a week. <laughs> this status lasted 23 of his 36 years in solitary. Wow. This book is a stark look at the world of gangs, hustlers, violent sex offenders, new guys, and the guys just trying to mark their time in the hothouse. It provides a deeper insight into offenders, guards, and all over society inside that you normally get from your standard true crime books. Sounds pretty cool. Mm, so that's, that's called Hot House Inside Leavenworth Prison. He goes on to write, thanks for taking the time to read this, and goodbye and adios. Uh, no, I like that other P.S. that he wrote. Oh, yeah, P.S. I read this book when I was around 12, so you imagine the type of kid I was. Yeah, you were our type of kid. You can sit with us. Yeah, at the back of the bus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, smoke this. Eat this. Yeah, let's let's go smoke ciggies on the back oval. Yeah. And we could talk about murder. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. That was a corker. If you want to submit a true crime nerd time, visit our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com for instructions. So, yeah, it's pretty easy. Just make it about 250 words and email it. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, or you can record it. And we'll play it out. Yeah, yeah, record it on your phone. We've done that a few times. Yeah. It works out. It's all awesome. Thank you, everyone who has contributed. So, Barney, is it time for you to get murdery? I believe it is. <laughs> Robin Jane Lindholm was born in 1973. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In Melbourne, Victoria, to wealthy parents. Robin would say in court 42 years later that she had the most wonderful upbringing and childhood she could hope to have. <laughs> Little Robin did indeed want for nothing and learnt from an early age how to manipulate her adoring father. Born with a silver spoon in her mouth, she would take it out, smack her daddy across the face with it and demand a pony, <laughs> which she would then get. <laughs> oh, father, I'm having the most splendid Christmas. May I have another pony? For Mrs. Sparkleface is lonely. Of course, my dear. Anything for my little princess. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tara, this is not a good parenting model. Oh, it sounds pretty sweet to me. I mean, I'll trade my povo childhood for that one any day. Well, it produced a spoilt little brat who battered her eyelashes to get whatever she desired. I'm still not seeing a downside for her. It still sounds pretty cool, Yeah, I mean, it? come on. Mm. Where's my pony? 
When Robin reached her teenage years, she cornered her easy touch father and demanded ice skates and ice skating lessons. And I want them now, Daddy. I want them now. Oh, you shall have Well, you shall have them, princess. Good. By 14, she was smashing it on the frozen water. I'm talking she was national figure skating champion, even performing along women's magazine favourites and Olympic legends Torval and Dean Ooh. in their Face the Music World Tour. Australian leg. <laughs> Australian egg. May contain traces of Australians. This was probably why she contracted the fame virus. The problem was she really didn't know the difference between good attention and bad attention. Unfortunately, this would be a lesson Robin would never learn, for she would become front-page news, but for all the wrong reasons. Not entirely lazy, she was known to work hard on occasion, though as Robin grew into a young woman, she constantly used her good looks to get ahead. Much like yourself, Barney. Well, you've got to use what you got. Mm-hmm. After finishing at the posh Kilvington Baptist Girls Grammar Primary School, <laughs> Robin then attended the even posher Malvern Girls Secondary College where she completed her VCE in 1990. Pony-loving ice skating Robin then started a Bachelor of Science degree at Monash University, working part-time in a car dealership to save for her own horse farm. Hang on, why was this... Fancy princess reduced to working like a commoner. Well, I'm guessing Daddy had turned off the money tap by this time as his little princess had pushed it so far she'd fallen out of favour. Oh, maybe that's what we heard just a second ago. (laughs) It's for her own good. She needs to stand on her own two feet. But this was no obstacle for Robin. At the age of 23, she got her wish. She took out a massive mortgage and bought a 74-acre horse farm in Glenhope, north of Melbourne. But massive mortgages require massive monthly payments, Tara. They do? They do. So Robin dropped out of university and started an animal husbandry course at Box Hill TAFE and began looking for more high-paid work. That's when two male animals love each other very much. That's right. She didn't have to look for long, Tara. With her good looks and charm, Robin landed a sweet gig as a barmaid at Crown Casino. This quickly morphed into a hostess role at the casino's exclusive High Rollers Mahogany Room. Nah, I wouldn't want to work there. Those richy riches could afford to, like, murder you, hide your body and convince the authorities that nothing ever happened. Well, it's funny you should say that, Tara, Mm -hmm. because it was here where rich cunts lost money to (laughs) other rich cunts that Robin met and developed a relationship with high-rolling gangster Alphonse the Black Prince of Ligon Street, Gadgetano, ah. enforcer for a criminal organisation known as the Carlton Crew. This is how criminal and drug dealer Jason Moran described the Black Prince. He's a fucking Lulu. If you smash five pool cues and an iron bar over someone's head, you're a fucking Lulu. Wow, well that's just made me think differently about the um, expensive chain store of like a ro- like yoga wear called Lululemon. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I wonder how the lemons come into it. I buy all my um, yoga pants there. Ah, I know. You're a fancy boy. Yeah, they're all yellow. Mm, Like the lemon. Robin had found a new daddy, Tara. Not only would the prince make it rain with cash and expensive gifts, he also introduced young Robin into a wild world of sex and drugs. Hang on. How old was she then? Uh, About 24. 
Oh, come on. She would have already had so many nicotine enemas by then. Uh, no, she was quite conservative before this. Uh, but she she developed she a didn't... taste for bad boys oh. from this point onwards. Okay. Plot point. <laughs> Everybody, write that down. On January 16, 1998, Alphonse Gagetano was gunned down in his Templestowe home. That night he had been drinking with old school crim Graham the Munster Kinneberg. Shortly after 11pm, the Munster left the Prince alone to go down the shop to get some fags. Cigarettes. Not a pile of sticks. No. Upon his return 30 minutes later, he found the Black Prince of Ligon Street had been shot several times in the head in his laundry. This murder was said to set the ball rolling on an underworld war that led to as many as 75 revenge assaults and murders. As well as Robin Lindholm... Alphonse, the dirty dog of Ligon Street, Gagetano, was survived by his wife and two daughters and another unnamed girlfriend with whom he had another child. Alphonse's murder is widely believed to have been committed by Jason Moran. Jason Moran was later killed on the orders of Carl Williams. Well, roads lead back to Carl Williams. They do, don't they? Now, Tara, like a bouncy ball dropped off a very tall cliff, Robin bounced back. Hard. <laughs> While working at the Crown Casino, she met another seedy money pants at the Mahogany Room, strip club owner Alex Prelac. Alex owned and ran the Simply Irresistible Stripping Agency and told Robin that he just might have a well-paying job for her. And Tara, it wasn't doing his bookkeeping. Hey, baby. Yes, Robin became a freelance exotic dancer, reinventing herself as Colotte. No, Colotte's. Was that her stripper name? <laughs> Was there, was there an exotic dancer named Colotz? Come on, you're just fantasising right now. Reinventing herself as Colette. Oh, she can ring Marbell. A leggy blonde seductress. Much like yourself, Barney. <laughs> Colette's dance card was always full, working for all the classy stripper joints in Melbourne, such as Tops to Bottoms, Simply Irresistible, Maxine and Just Strip Tease. Oh, Just Strip Tease. Well, you don't want people getting confused, do you? Well, you can't buy chairs there, Tara. No. Whilst covering herself in balloons and slowly popping them. That's how I podcast. You stop popping balloons, it's distracting. <laughs> Especially when you have to blow them up again. <laughs> well, it's noisy, I'll give it that. Robin became friends with fellow exotic dancer and single mum Shari Davidson. When Shari went missing and was presumed murdered, detectives were surprised when the investigation led to only one good suspect, Robin Lindholm. Police had learned that Shari had confided in friends only days before her disappearance that she was in serious trouble, and that trouble was with some Greek gangsters. The gang included an enforcer by the name of George Templeton, who had just started dating an exotic dancer known as Colette. But with no body and no witnesses, the case went cold and Robin was never arrested. It seemed that everything was golden for Robin Colette Lindholm. Not only was she in the clear for Shari's disappearance, she was also smashing her mortgage payments and as a bonus, she was living her dream of being the centre of attention. With dollar signs in her eyes, soon Robin wanted more and began working as a highly paid escort, also under the name of Colette. Well, you know, you, you don't want to kind of confuse your names. It's important to have strong branding, isn't it? Consistent branding yeah. is uh, important Very for these important. things. Yes. 
Meanwhile, George Templeton thought Robin was a bit of all right. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. And had fallen hard for her. George was in a Richmond-based gang called the Plastic Gangsters, who moved illegal weapons as well as drugs. George also owned and ran a carpet-laying business and had a teenage son, Ross, from a previous relationship. George was completely vaginamatized by Robin. <laughs> Are you trying to riff on dickmatized? <laughs> I think vagmatized sounds better. George was completely vagmatized by Robin. <laughs> he soon moved into her reservoir home and proposed marriage to the leggy femme fatale. But there was more than a little bit of trouble in paradise for the couple. Early into their relationship, George spent five months in prison after being found guilty of a drugs and weapons charge in 2003. During his time in the clink, Robin began seeing another bad boy on the side, Wayne Amy. Wayne. After George was released, he went back to Robin, but things just weren't the same, Tara. Robin's heart just wasn't in it. Though for some reason she stuck with George, keeping Wayne on the side. Mm, they'll take George with a side of Wayne, thank you. Yeah, side piece Wayne. Maybe it was George's money, but their relationship endured for seven years. Mm. May 2nd, 2005 was a special occasion for George. It was the anniversary of his father's death. On this day, George always drank a bottle of Metexar brandy, a favourite of his dearly departed papa. George did this every year, and at his request, Robin had got him the bottle of brandy. Earlier that day, George had told his brother Nick at the carpet laying business where they worked that he had the brandy and he was planning on taking a big chunk out of it. That's the spirit, George. Mm. That night, Robin and her close friend, Matilda Burke, made a meaty dinner for George. Also present were Ross, George's teenage son who had been living in the bungalow at the back of the house, and a guy named Nathan Morris, George's carpet laying employee. Ross and Nathan ate their meal in the bungalow where they were playing Xbox. During the evening, George phoned his brother Nick twice. By the second phone call, Nick could tell that George was well and truly pissed. Ross later told police that he had reached the same conclusion when his father went outside to say goodnight to him in the bungalow. Ross told them that his father stumbled up the steps of the bungalow and he said to him, You're drunk, Dad. Oh, that's not something you've ever heard from your children, is it, Barney? No. 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 After the dinner of steak and pepper sauce, George relaxed on the three-seater couch in the lounge room. On either side of him sat Robin and her friend Matilda. As well as drinking the Greek brandy, the three indulged in a wee bit of marijuana. By late in the evening, George was pissed high and a bit wobbly on his feet, Tara. This was when Robin and Matilda told George that they were going to Matilda's place nearby to give her teenage son some money for his school lunch the next day. Give him back his lunch money. But, Tara, and it's a but that's wobbly on its feet, mm. it was a ruse. Oh. Matilda kind of knew this was bullshit, but she certainly didn't know what Robin had planned. Matilda believed it was subterfuge for Robin to have a sexy rendezvous with her side lover, Wayne Amy. Matilda knew Robin had been banging Wayne for some time. Robin drove to Matilda's place where she received two mobile telephone calls. One whilst she was in the driveway and another whilst she was sitting around in Matilda's living room. Robin received the calls on a sexy secret second cell phone that Matilda had seen Wayne give to her. Oh, a sexy secret second cell phone by the seaside. 
Well, that's the only place they work. Yeah, well, the sexy ones anyway. To Matilda's surprise, after the second sexy cell phone call (laughs) on the second phone, in which Matilda overheard her say not much more than okay, Robin said she wanted to go back to her house in Reservoir. Hmm. Hmm. Upon arrival, Robin and Matilda found that George was gone, and so was his car, a Ford Rodeo Ute. There were no signs of a break-in or a struggle. George had simply disappeared. Robin confided in Matilda that her lover Wayne had paid somebody to help him get rid of George and that somebody was a nasty piece of work. Oh, he didn't hire a nice murderer. No, nasty one. Oh, not sure if that's advisable. Robin also told Matilda to stick to the story of going to Matilda's house to give her son back his lunch money. Don't you look at me so funny. The next morning at 2.43am, Robin received a text message from George's cell phone. It read, Got problems, need a lift, we'll call soon. Police would later conclude this text was probably sent by Wayne. Mm. Or the nasty murderer. Police later found some bloodstains on the couch and around the living room, which matched George's DNA. The police suspected that George was overpowered there and murdered somewhere else. George Templeton's body was never found. After George's disappearance, Robin moved in with Wayne Amy at his Surrey Hills residence for a spell before moving into his new penthouse in Hawthorne. Very posh. A week later, police organised a televised press conference seeking public assistance over George's disappearance. Robin was smiling and laughing before morphing into a grieving girlfriend when the cameras started rolling. Crocodile tears, some might say. Some might say also her performance was worthy of a Logie nomination. Oh, do you think she'd win? Or was that like the decade when they only gave them to Lisa McCune? Well, she worked very hard, Lisa, and um, she's a great actress. And uh, You yeah, love Blue Healers. I love Blue Healers. <laughs> That's why you have a big Blue Healers tattoo on your left batok. George's ute. His Rodeo, Ford Rodeo, was discovered in Fitzroy about a fortnight after he went missing. That's two weeks. Was it near Denise Drysdale's house? (laughs) Well, yeah, it was parked out the front of her house. (laughs) By then, Robin had already moved her stuff out and stole most of George's furniture, only leaving a box of old toys for George's grief-stricken son, Ross. Oh, wow, that's low. According to George's family, Ross was not impressed when he noticed his father's F-100 camper van, motorbike, boat, a rear projection television, always wanted one of those, and a bunch of jewellery was taken by Robin. Well, people grieve in different ways, Barney. Yeah. Some people pinch shit, some people cry. Mm, Yeah, some people get legitimately upset and some people are just assholes. Although suspicious of Robin, police considered months after George disappeared that he may not have wanted to be found, but they held grave concerns because he had not used his mobile phone or bank accounts and had been looking forward to a prepaid Queensland holiday with Robin. Ugh, I wouldn't want one. But look, it's unlikely that he's going to ghost his son either. Like, that's, well, that's not really right. what like fathers that care about their children do. And he did. Yeah. Mm, all the research, that's what... Bore out that he did really care yeah, about his Yeah, I mean, son. it's just entirely suspicious, isn't it? Police suspected he had been murdered by Wayne Amy at the behest of Robin, mm. especially after learning that two weeks before the vanishing, George had tearfully told his brother that he had caught Robin in bed with another man. 
Hmm. Wayne, I'm looking at you. Yeah, well, I mean, probably. George and Robin then had words, most of them bad words, which I can't repeat here because of Tara's delicate ear nubs. <gasps> oh, heavens no. The cops investigated, but the case went cold when Victoria Police's missing person squad was disbanded. Wow. They were just like, well, well, we can't figure it out. I, th- I just don't even think we should bother having a squad. L- let's just go home. <laughs> <laughs> This one's too hard. <laughs> oh, look, I'm sure there were, like, other reasons and we're not trying to give shit to the cops. Oh, yeah, but that was the main reason. Yeah, but, like, I'm sure... <laughs> no, it wasn't, was it? No. Oh, but... <laughs> <laughs> wow, you nearly had me considering that you had a point. And you know I never think that. Uh, Robin Lindholm was pretty much in the clear, living free and easy with her lover, Wayne, who she affectionately dubbed Batman. Yes, Tara, Batman and Robin. I always knew those two were banging. Well, you were right. Yes. Come on. That, like, the old one with Burt Ward? Yeah, Come and Adam on. West. Adam oh, West. yeah. Come on. Yeah, the sexual tension is pal- palpable. Pal- oh, palpable. Yeah. You... I can't even say it. I'm so oh, fucking so turned, turned on, on <laughs> thinking about it. Oh, God. Robin <laughs> sold her horse farm in Glenhope and bought a Better property with Batman in Bitten just out of Hastings on Western Port Bay. Robin loaded the 10-acre property with eight pricey Arabian horses and practised a bit of animal husbandry. Oh, that's nice. She's bringing the boy animals together again. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Things were good for a while, but then took a serious nosedive. Oh. The relationship between Batman and Robin <laughs> soured like a fish pavlova left out in the sun. And Money problems combined with both parties having affairs put a strain on the dynamic duo. <laughs> Wayne came back hard, kicking Robin off her beloved horse farm. Robin was angry. Eight years after Robin got Wayne to kill George, she arranged for Wayne to be killed, and just as she'd done years earlier, Tara, she convinced a lover to do it. Her new beau, Torsten Toots Trebert. <laughs> I'm not making this up, was convinced to carry out her diabolical plan. Toots, as uh, she loved to call him Toots, Toots was up for it. He was so infatuated with Robin, he had already left his wife and children to be with the boy wonder. Now, Tara, Batman and Robin had some serious money problems. You know, it takes a lot to deck out a Batcave. Oh, the Batmobile insurance is pretty high also. Oh, yeah. And after the bank foreclosed on their Batcave... (laughs) Robin got on the ice. Oh, but this time she didn't need her skates? No, we're talking vanilla ice, not iced tea. Oh, yeah, the bad ice. Yeah, the The bad ice. The kind you don't need skates for. That's right. Okay. She lost everything and began couch surfing and living out of her car. Oh, this is a turnaround. Robin convinced Toots to murder Batman with the help (laughs) of John Ryan, another man who was cunt-struck with Robin. Wow. So we've got another bloke here, John Ryan. Yeah, yeah. It's a party at this point, isn't it? So we've got Toots, Batman, (laughs) John Ryan and Robin. Got that? Yeah. Good. And Toots was not a rodeo clown. No, we've established that. Yes, we have. So Wayne, Batman Amy was ambushed in a car park where he's bashed with a baseball bat and thrown into a trunk of a car. He was then hogtied, stabbed and strangled. Jesus. His body was later stuffed between two boulders, then covered with sticks and rocks at Mount Corong, north of Bendigo. Robin and Toots then had sex by a creek on the way home while John Ryan waited in the car. Oh, gross. 
After Wayne Batman Amy was reported missing, it didn't take detectives long to put all of these crappy pieces together (laughs) Uh and arrest this dirty, dirty trio. John Ryan was the first to cave and led police to Wayne's body. I think he got the deal first, you know. Whoever takes yeah. the deal first. Yeah, and also, yeah. like, you know, he didn't get to join in the, the, the post-murder sexy time and maybe he was just a bit, That's right. like, felt a little bit left out, you know, <laughs> like a like a dog at a llama orgy. That's right. He was on the lamb. <laughs> he wasn't on the lamb, but it sounds like something you would say. Well, that's right. I'll thank you. Make me wait in the car while you have sick by the creek. I'll show them. Yeah. I'll tell the police everything. Yeah. It's the last time I... You have to sit here by myself, shanking. He was shitting and wanking in the car. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a murderer. Maybe I'm not got sure out of the what, car you, for that. what you do afterwards. I don't know. Detectives investigating the murder found a series of incriminating text messages between Batman and Robin in the lead up to the murder. I just can't get over those names. Meanwhile, on top of the umbrella factory, Penguin is just. <laughs> 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 so you want to you want to hear these texts? Oh my god, I I've never wanted anything more in my life. All right, one text from Robin to Wayne read, "Wayne, you wouldn't take me back. I tried for months. After I recognized my mistakes, you still rejected me. I was only good enough to fuck. I know that hurt, and I don't know why I did it. But the last few months, when I begged to come home and I wanted you more than anything, you still rejected me continuously and took everything away." I need to feel like I'm more than just sex on legs. There's Robin here too, not just Colette. I mean Colette. There's Robin here too and not just Colette. Can I please have you doing that as my ringtone? I need to feel I'm more than just sex on legs. Uh, Look, Barney, I've tried to see you as more than that, but it's just not possible. If you make my life any harder than you already have, you will regret it, Wayne. During an interview with police, Robin told cops, He always wanted to have sex with me, even after we separated. We used to do a lot of threesomes, and he used to get me to bring girls home a lot. Right, okay. It's not really an episode that's suitable for children, this one, is it? No. Unlike most of our episodes, which are family-friendly. She also complained that Wayne had a vasectomy. How dare he? And she wanted children. She did this. He did this without her permission when they were together and got her to pick him up from the hospital after it was done. It was as a surprise. Surprise vasectomy. Yeah. I, I love that show. I that, watch it on uh, Netflix all the that's time. That's the name of my fourth album, Surprise Vasectomy. <laughs> that's the name of your fucking Christmas present, buddy. Yeah, like these nuts, they're gone now. <laughs> um, Would you like some sperm? Because there isn't any. <laughs> oh. Robin told them Wayne claimed their debts were too high and they couldn't afford to have kids. Well, you know, it's a... It's a way of looking at it. I told my kids that last night. Yeah, yeah. Well, it didn't make them happy, though, did it? No. Meanwhile, John Ryan told police that after the murder, Robin was laughing and carrying on like it was nothing. They just wanted to fucking party, and I felt sick. After his arrest, and toots, a little bit left out, and a little bit left out. <laughs> I could, I could have gone down that creek as well. They could have invited me, or I could have at least watched. I didn't have to wait in the car. <laughs> after his arrest, Toots Trebert told police, 
Hey, baby, I don't kill people. I'm a lover, not a killer. I couldn't kill anyone. All right, sorry, I guess he loved him to death, did he? All three were found guilty of Wayne, Batman, Amy's murder and sentenced to life after a 16-day trial. It's not very long, is it? Not really, not for three people. (laughs) Dead to rights, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, it Mm. sounds pretty solid. Man, consequences, guys. When Robin was languishing in prison for this murder, police reopened the investigation into the murder of George Templeton after she bragged about his murder to a fellow inmate. And you're going to love this, Tara. Oh, do tell. Robin claimed she was the one to kill her former lover, saying, I slit his fucking throat as he came. Then I had the best orgasm in my life. But she's saying that they were having sex when she killed him. Yeah, adding she got covered in his warm blood. That is really, really vile. Now, she could be just showboating in prison. Oh, yeah, but still, if that's how you make friends, I'm not sure they're going to be your true friends, Robin. Yeah, you don't walk up to someone (laughs) in the bar you haven't met and say that and say, how cool am I? How do you like me now? Yeah, you know what was the best orgasm I ever had? (laughs) It's a good story. And covered in blood. Covered in it. Covered in it. Well, Tara, this apparently wasn't the only time Robin spoke of the murder, telling multiple people she topped him. She also claimed she had beaten George to death with a fire poker after drugging his pepper steak and had to turn the music up loud to drown out the noise. Oh, well, that's not how you have sex. No. I mean, with a pepper steak, sure. Yeah, I mean, always with a pepper steak. Um, but, Don't uh, get me wrong. Fire poker? That's ah, weird. It's, just, it's a little bit too pointy. In October 2019... So this is only last month. Ah. 46-year-old Robin Lindholm was found guilty of the murder of George Templeton. She was ordered to serve 28 years in jail on top of the 25-year sentence for organising the killing of Wayne Batman Amy. So, yeah, this was only settled a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. Uh, George Templeton's sister-in-law... Deborah Teaser said at a pre-sentence hearing, if we as a family could ask for anything, it is to know what happened to George and where his body lies. You have the option to do what's right, to tell us where George's body is. Police suspect George was dismembered and his parts dumped in Port Phillip Bay. Robin Lindholm, still pleading her innocence, has refused to tell. Oh, that's really low. I mean, at least give his family a little bit of some explanation. That's right. And by the way, I think George Templeton was the good guy in this. Remember how I told you he spent five months in jail? Yeah. After he came out of jail, he turned his life around. He he stopped all his criminal activities. He said he never wanted to go back to jail again. So then he worked in the carpet laying business. Okay. And um, He went straight. He no went, more plastic gangsters. He, no more plastic gangsters and wanted to spend more time with his teenage son. So he wanted to turn his life around, and some people say that's why Robin wanted to get rid of him because he wasn't hardcore enough for him, for her anymore. I wouldn't be bringing in as much money. Has she heard? Does she know that she can just break up with people? Yeah. Like and not have them killed? Yeah. I mean, you tell a five-year-old that, use your words. Yeah. This is, wow. There's obviously, she's got some issues. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really talk about people who don't, do we? So that's the story of Batman and Robin. Yeah. Wow. It is so different to the movie. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. 
Yeah. That's a little bit like the one that had Danny DeVito in it. I like the Val Kilmer one. That was great. Yeah, Danny DeVito is a penguin. That thrilled me. But that wasn't <laughs> oh, that Val was Kilmer. Good. That wasn't Val Kilmer. No, I don't even know who that was at this point. Michael I Keaton. I don't fucking care. Oh, right. Michael Keaton. Oh, that, actually, yeah, that no, was yeah. fun. Good conversation. Good talk. <clears throat> All right. I have a question for you, Tara. Uh, sure, Barney. What, what, what do you got there? What is Aussie ass? <gasps> Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Yes. Excellent. Well, like, let's start this off. Like, what do you think would be some things that are the, easy to steal, to, like, shoplift? Like, a pack of gum? A bath plug? Yeah, like maybe an egg cup. Hmm. Yeah, what about things that it would be hard to steal, like a like an angry crocodile? That'd be pretty hard. Uh, a hungover baboon. Rainwater tank. Army tank. Just anything in the tank family, also hard. Tank yeah. top. Oh, they're, they're, they're easy. I've done that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my, that was in my mis- misspent youth. Well, a young bloke in a Perth supermarket tried to push the boundaries of his shoplifting abilities by attempting to steal a foil container of piping hot spaghetti bolognese. Well, you'll never grow if you don't push yourself, huh? Mm, I love spag bog. That's what we call spaghetti bolognese in Australia. Spag bog. I thought we called it spag bowl. Uh, you're, you're, you're a... New South Wales person. I'm a Victorian person. Uh, we see, call it bog down here. Nah, um, bog pretty, is better than bowl. Yeah, but it's not spaghetti bolognese, is it? Yeah, I'm well, I can't sure explain it's bag it. Bag bog. I can't explain. Oh, it. look. Either way, it sounds gross, right? Spag bowl. Spag bog. Anyway, this brazen snack attack was captured by security cameras and posted to the Facebook page of a Forest Road Fresh supermarket in Armadale. So the young man, let's call him Shano was seen sporting it fresh in a backwards baseball cap while meandering down the supermarket aisle looking for a five-finger discount. When he got to the hot food section, Shano thought to himself, bingo, that's my poison. Now, despite him carrying a backpack, Shano chose to shove the hot aluminium container of spag bowl down the front of his tracky-dacks in full view of a nearby customer before pulling his T-shirt down to hide his boiling bulge. Within seconds, Shano started to have a few regrets. Ah, second thoughts, yeah. Yeah, look, as he Mm. limped down the aisle, fiddling with his pants, uh, he realised that the container was very, very hot. Not one to give up easily, Shano tried to suck it up all the way to the exit, but eventually he just had to say die. Realising the container of boiling hot spag bowl had burst inside his trackies, he pulled the scalding hot container from his pants and threw it on the floor before scampering out of the shop, leaving a trail of spaghetti and beefy sauce in his wake. Whoa. The owners of the store have called the attempted theft stupidity at its highest form. They put the video on their Facebook page with the caption, Not only is it going to burn you, but it will expose you to the public for attempted shoplifting. <laughs> one, one, comment, one of the comments cracked me up. It said, um, Slim Shady here dropping mum spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> now, I imagine this encounter will put Shano off shoving hot pasta down his pants. Well, at least until the blisters heal. Better go pinch yourself some aloe vera to put on that shit, Shano, you bloody idiot. Whoa. The ballad of Shano and his burning pants. Wow. He's not going to be getting any action for a while until that thing heals up. No, it'd be like, um, you know, when you get posted something and there's bubble wrap? That's oh, what his no, thing's no, going to be no, like. I don't wanna, except it'll be pink. I don't want to picture that. 
Jesus, Tara. I should add that bubble wrap burnt penis references to the trigger warning, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. A- along with shanking. Um, oh, God. There's so. M- I should have written more things down while we were recording. I'm sure. I'm sure we can make it a whole hour. Now, we are incredibly grateful for the support we receive from our patrons. And to try to show them how much we love them, we're going to be holding monthly giveaways. This month, we're giving away a bloody murder keep kicking against the pricks weekender bag. You know what you can put in a bag? Stuff. Ah, oh, all kinds and of peop- stuff. And people, in a, you're gonna, they're going to see you walking along with that bag and they're, they're going to say, hey, dude, I don't know you, but you're the tits, man. Yeah, you you're sporting awesome. it fresh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, check you out. Woo. Yeah. God, it actually sounds like we're mocking them, though. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. No, we think it's cool, obviously. No. I mean, you know, it's our idea to make it. Um, so thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you would like to support us, visit our website or if you just want to buy us a drink because we're really thirsty, mm-hmm. there's a PayPal donate button there too. And who's buying the drinks tonight, Barney? It's Ray Gaither. Yay, thank you, Ray. That is awesome. Thank you. He's actually written a little message here. He said, have one on me, guys. Love the show from here in Middle America. I just wanted to show you a little love right now. Thank you, Ray. Also, he said a four-wheeler is an ATV. Yeah, yeah. Barney. Is that some kind of car? (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Is an ATV a car? Um, No, no more. No more. It must be some kind of car. No, no more. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Particularly the subscribing. You can follow us on our Facebook page or join our group. At Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod. And on Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, BloodyMurderPodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. At 11pm on the night of June 9th, 1994, Paul Curry... Oh, great. It's going to be one of those days when I think I've made a mistake, but I haven't. It's just my general feeling when I'm walking around. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've made a mistake. And I would have. I'm just waiting for someone to pick up on it. You made a mistake 20 years ago. Yeah, when when I met you and I didn't throw a cup of soup in your face and tell you to get out of my sight. That's right. I wasn't even holding a cup of soup when we met. Well, I could have gone and got one. Well, there's the pity. <laughs> More's the pity. Something. There's pity there somewhere. There's definitely a lot of pity there. Self-pity in, from me. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind I like. I'd like some pity, please. Okay. Well, you can have a little bit, but not much. I don't want you to get pity greedy. Oh, no. Pity greedy. <laughs> yeah, don't be a pity greedy Barney. Nobody likes no, pity greedy no. Barney. No, give, give me all that pity, please. Golden girls are on stand. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I watched a few episodes, and you know what? I was a bit excited at first, because B. Arthur, come on. But now that I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, God, that could, like, if I don't die, that could be me in 25 years. And it's less funny now, because I'm like, oh, 
Oh, that's the future. I see the future. Yeah, they'd have to pep up that show format a bit. Maybe some full frontal nudity. And a hell of a lot of swearing. Swearing. More drug taking. They should be passing a bong around the coffee yeah, table. Yeah, no cheese, no cheesecake, just joints. Just joints. Yeah, yeah, that would be more my style. Maybe like a lot of chopper chops. Yeah, DMT. Oh, oh fucking tripping. Good luck if you can get it. Tripping balls. Old ladies tripping balls. I'd watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that too. I'm going to visit my mum at Christmas. I mean, I could probably make it happen. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she wouldn't do it on purpose. Her bum? Yeah, she could just, like, douched herself to fucking death. Smoked it through a, yeah. Yeah, through a butt. Well, if you can think of a better way of doing it, I'd I'm, like to hear I'm about doing it. it right now. I've tried to smoke through my nipples, but it doesn't work. Yeah, well. Uh-huh. Doesn't yeah. work. Uh-uh. Got to pull out all those nipple hairs first. I don't have all those nipple hairs, Barney. You, you posted one of your nipple hairs to somebody, I'm pretty sure. I think it was one of my head hairs, Barney. Can you stop thinking about my nipples, please? <laughs> No, don't even think. I can tell when. You, nope. Mm. Bum bum. <laughs> Put your hands up and step away from my nipples. I'm not thinking about. You're it. thinking about. That's all you can think about. They're like a screensaver for your mind. Oh, you're rubbing your own now. That's just weird. I'm just rubbing one. I'm not oh, weird is, or something. Is, is, is rubbing one nipple okay? But that's rubbing... all right. The double nipple rub uh, frowned upon in polite society, but the single and yet nipple you do rub it anyway. is quite accepted. It's not. I think it is. No, it's not. I don't make the rules up. <laughs> <laughs> really, who makes up all of the, the nipple rules? Well, buddy? there's some uh, kind the of prime minister, I the, guess. Well, yeah, he has something to do with it. He oversees it, but there is a nipple committee. Ah, <laughs> uh, what is it? The nitty gritty nipple committee. Yeah. Ah, oh, nice. Well, yeah. I mean, after you become a QC and you sit on the bench for twenty years as a Supreme Justice of the Court, you may be admitted. Into the nipple committee. Ah, supreme justice of the boob points. That's right. That's what they call it. That's a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, that's something you'd open with on a first date, that you have children. Yeah, most people don't sort of act secretive about it, do they? Mm, Because isn't that a selling point? Like, a a guy has kids, that means he's, like, responsible and... Yeah, it can be. I mean, if he has kids but never sees them, though, that doesn't necessarily make you endeared to him. It means they've got goblins in their life, too. Yeah, well, yeah, see? Possibly. You might have to deal with, like, you know, exes and stuff. Yeah, I'm not dating someone with kids. That's a chain around my neck. (laughs) Albatross. It's a monkey uh, on your yeah, back. It's a monkey on my back. <laughs> yeah, and it's flinging poo. Yeah. Oh my god, you would love to date someone with kids. You fucking love. Kids. Oh yeah, I would. I do like kids. They're good. They're little people. And they're delicious. And they're, they're yeah. <laughs> they their needs are quite. They they don't um they don't have any agendas, hidden agendas. Yeah, that their is agendas nice. are quite obvious. I want to have fun right now. And Make I would it like to eat some more chips. Yeah, give me more corn <laughs> chips. And I want to have fun. You know what? Oh. These are kind of similar to my agendas. Really? Yeah. E- eating corn chips and having fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, close enough. Oh, yeah. I mean, substitute corn chips with like vodka and substitute fun with being unconscious. Sitting on the couch and not talking to anybody. <laughs> Watching murder documentaries. <laughs> well, yeah, go. remarkably similar. Yeah, I'm essentially yes. a child. Yeah. It is my immaturity that keeps me young. Well, yeah. Mm. I may be old, but at least I'm immature. Yeah, that's well, that's what we say around here. Uh, I'll take, um, I'll take, what's the word for killing your wife? Oh, I'll take murdering your wife for $200, thanks, Alex. Uh, matricide? 
Yeah, I think it is. But isn't that when you throw out a mattress? No, you have to kill it. Oh, you have to fuck it and then kill it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> you have to fuck the mattress first. You don't have to fuck it? <laughs> what kind of dictionary do you read? Well, that's just what I did. I mean, that's, I mean. <laughs> allegedly, so you can just, allegedly, allegedly. So you can just put the mattress on the side of the road on hard rubbish day. side. Get you it? You don't have to fuck it. I mean, I guess you could. There's probably no laws against it. So the mattress didn't say no. It well, did, I mean, if the it, mattress is into it, I say go for it. Yeah, no, it's consenting. Well, yeah, I mean, otherwise. Objects. It's a, it's <laughs> a sexy, sexy objects. I mean, it's a mattress for God's sake. Yeah, it's I got your thinking bedroom thoughts. I want to bail out of this conversation. Yeah, me too. But um, I don't feel that we have a parachute. <laughs> no. I think we might actually die of this. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, okay. Well, Parachutes are for babies. They really are. They're big diapers that you hang above your head. <laughs> in conversations. <laughs> they're big diaper com. They're big conversation diapers that you hang over your head. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll pay that. I will pay that with cash money. I don't know. When you get to a certain age, though, I think maybe over thirty, adults are just adults. I don't really see that age thing. Look, I know that's yeah. what you say, but I don't know that that's how the world views it. Yeah. And particularly not like through the becoming a, like when you're a woman lens, because everything's like, oh, you're unfuckable after a certain age and you shouldn't exist. Fuck off, grandma. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, get in the kitchen, cook us something, be useful. Yeah. But God damn, don't make us look at you. I thought that was my special goodbye for you. <laughs> Fuck off, grandma. <laughs> Fuck off, Grandma. Yeah. <clears throat> Stay fresh, cheese bags. That's Fuck it. Fuck off, Grandma. Well, although you're several years older than me, because I'm female and you're you're like a white guy, I'm actually several years older than you. <laughs> That's how the maths works on that. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm pretty immature, though. Oh, look, we both are. I think that's yeah. widely known. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, plop. Oh, ploppity plop. That sounds like a horrible idea, but I don't like bars. No. No, uh-huh. you don't really, you know, fit in them because you're too cold. <laughs> yeah, I've got to pick whether I want my legs or my upper body to be cold. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there was like a seven-foot bar. That would that would do the trick, but no, you're yeah. right. It's called the ocean. I do like the ocean. The ocean's good, isn't it? Yeah, ocean's great. Yeah. Ocean's 11. Yeah, not no, as much. No. Ocean, the one where it's all chicks, though, that's cool. Yeah. I like that one. That was fun. Billy Ocean. Get out of my car, get into my dreams. Great song. <laughs> no, that's a Freddy Krueger song. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> Cecil Hotel. Girl in that water tank on the top. Mm. Mm. She was in the elevator talking to a ghost. That's what happens. Don't talk to ghosts. Don't talk to ghosts Don't or you'll drown it. in a water tank on yeah. top of a hotel. Duh. Everyone knows that. Duh. Someone should tell Mike Brown. He's awesome. I don't well, want that to happen. Well, yeah. I mean, he's stacking all those big jars of mum piss in his garage. <laughs> I think he wears floaties when he does his ghost tours, just just in case. Yeah, because of the mum. No, no, not the mum piss. No, because no, because of, of, the, of the water tank. Yeah, don't talk to ghosts. Because then he'll just float. He'll, it'll be nice. It'll be don't, like going for a little swim. Yeah, yeah. Don't make eye contact. Don't do bum tongue to ghosts. I have that on a T-shirt. <laughs> I'm sure you do. It's actually the name of my fifth album. Oh right! Don't do bum tongue to ghosts. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, uh, it was. It was. In classic. brackets, I learnt the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that, that was an interesting, uh, interesting mm. song. That one. Repercussions. There were some. <laughs>
Yeah, oh God, were, were, were loads, there ever loads of I repercussions? Know. Well, once you once you open that door, it means that ghosts can do bum tongue to you whenever they want. Well, yeah, and ectoplasm, it just can't get that taste out of your mouth. Mm. Ectoplasm. No, no, you can brush and brush, but it's yeah. still there in the background. Ask Dan Aykroyd. He knows oh. all about it. Oh, yeah, so so does um Dan Belushi. What was his name, the bad Belushi? He knows about it. Was he in Ghostbusters? No, but he watched it a few times. Oh, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. That'll do it. Where's my fucking pony? It's not here, is it? Huh? Here, there is no pony. Well, you had a cow once, but you killed it with a plastic bucket, <laughs> it didn't you? It wasn't our cow. Well, that's not the story I Someone heard. Someone else's cow. You killed it with a plastic bucket that should be taken down the beach to make sandcastles with. Yeah, but that's you killed because your cow the cow committed suicide by eating it. It shouldn't have eaten it. No. Well, you shouldn't I have mean, it I mean, I don't mean to cow blame. The farmer was upset. He was very mad at me. I was only about three. I didn't know. I just left my bucket there. Was I was thinking about consequences to my buckety actions. No, I was not. Repercussions. There were some. Yeah, There were loads of repercussions. Yeah, you better put away everything all the time or you'll kill a cow. <laughs> and that's why I'm so neat now. Nah, I didn't learn. No, no, no. Tara doesn't. She's not a learning I'm not Tara. not a learning Tara. Yeah, you can't it's teach. Stuck in my ways. You can't teach a tall Tara new tricks. <laughs> Or anything much at all. Yeah, you can lead a Tara to a cow, but she will kill it with a plastic bucket. <laughs> if it's any consolation, I did feel bad about it. For how long? Oh, probably years knowing me. <laughs> <laughs> I probably still feel bad about it. I'm just in denial. That's why I drink. Even performing along women's magazine favourites and Olympic legends, Torval and Dean, Ooh. in their Face the Music World Tour. Australian leg. <laughs> Australian egg. May contain traces of Australians. Oh, so much gluten. Oh, just don't get me started on the palm oil. It's killing the orangutans. Uh, I like orangutans. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, but you like them all greased up with palm oil. And I like Clint Eastwood. If they were to make a film together, <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh, boy, do I have your Christmas present lined up. Really? Well, I mean, I am going to buy you those acting lessons so that you can pretend to give even a tenth of a shit when I'm sick. But uh, apart from that, I also have another idea. I'm sorry I didn't fucking shank when you got the sniffles. I didn't cry when you got a cold. That's all I was asking for, Barney, just a a simple feeling thing. You just wanted me to... Cry a little. Cry, look up at the sky and say, why, God, why would you give this wonderful woman illness? Yes, that would have been very nice, Barney. Right. Perhaps moving forward, it's something that we could incorporate into mm. our friendship. Yeah, well, it's called empathy. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> That's how I make most of my points. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. No fine cows, just ugly mm. buckets. Epping. Oh, ooh, oh no. Frankston. I went to Epping once with a boy. Uh, <laughs> all the way to Epping and back. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens when you fall asleep on the train. You get a tap on the shoulder. <laughs> Wake up, son, and you're in Epping. And you're like, oh, God, no. That's when you shake your fist at the sky you and go, say, oh. no. <laughs> yeah. He had a white couch. She was a fucking white couch. She Who has asking, a white couch? You're asking for it. <laughs> 
Oh, and you have white carpet as well. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. Did his carpet match his couch? I don't recall, Barney. <laughs> well, it was a long time ago. Well, you know, things... Uh, <laughs> One thing led to another, and I've got to tell you, I was looking at the couch. I wasn't looking at the carpet. <laughs> and, yeah, and now no children can sit on that couch. <laughs> no. <laughs> they had to sell it. They had to put it on the front lawn. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, he's since had children. I don't know where they sit. I guess they don't. Oh, was that that guy from New Zealand? No, gross. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a Sri Lankan right. dude. Ah, was he from New Zealand? No, he was from Sri Lanka. Oh. <laughs> well, you can have Sri Lankan people in New Zealand. No, they don't. They don't, they don't. That's not a thing? <laughs> I'm sure it is a thing. New Zealand is nice. Hi to all the Sri Lankans in New yeah, Zealand. Um, you rock. Not hi to that gross Kiwi guy I went out with. No, he, uh, he was rubbish. He was rubbish. He didn't like Barney. I mean, what kind of person doesn't like what Barney? What a monster. Absolutely. Don't put out if they don't like Barney. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Is, what's that Spice Girls song? If you want to be my lover, you got to not hate Barney. Well, we all know that's not yeah. true, isn't it? <laughs> I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you want to be my lover, don't go buy a white couch. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of your fourth album. Ah, I know. It's hard to keep track, isn't it? <laughs> Robin then attended the even posher Malvern Girls Secondary College where she completed her VCE in 1990. I like drawing self-portraits and pictures of my ponies. No! Daddy, I'm grand. Who's the prettiest princess you've ever seen, Daddy? Uh, you are, little princess. I know! <laughs> <laughs> Daddy... I need a new car. Oh, let me just have a look at my wallet here. Oh, Daddy, you're the greatest. And it needs to have um, real leopard print seats or I'll hate you forever. Well, well I'm a little bit short this week. I'll but hate I, you forever, I, I, Daddy, I, I, forever. I, I, if you just look behind no. you, i, I got no, a rare Daddy, unicorn. No. If you just look behind you. It's, it's not enough. Oh, be reasonable, seats. princess. I'm going to die of sadness, Be Daddy. reasonable, princess. I'm trying to do my best here. Daddy, I hate you. Oh, please don't say that. You're, you're, break, you're breaking my heart, princess. I ever. I'll fuck off, you little cunt. Stop your whining. <laughs> Give me those fucking car seats, cunt. Wow, that went not far enough, in my opinion. Yeah, well, no. But I, I feel that I understand her father and her better now that we've workshopped that with a therapist. <laughs> I'm assuming uh, that Laszlo is, in fact, a qualified therapist. He is a licensed a therapist, yeah. Yes, good. Good. I, I I prefer my therapist to have four legs and a tail. Mm, you probably should be in the room, though. I think you scared him away. I mean, I almost scared myself away. I was making some pretty fucking annoying noises. Hang on. Why was this fancy princess reduced to working like a commoner? Well, I'm guessing Daddy had turned off the money tap by this time as his little princess had pushed it so far she'd fallen out of favour. Oh, maybe that's what we heard just a second ago. <laughs> It's for her own good. She needs to stand on her own two feet. But I want it, Daddy. Well, I no, want I, yes, I'll always I love you it. and I'll always be here for you, but, but you need to stand on your own feet. You're a grown woman now, Robin. But, but I want it. I'm going to hold my breath until I die and it'll all be your fault. Well, that may be, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think you're ready for a teenage girl. Mate. I really, I'm really not. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Oh, well. I don't yeah. think any father is. 
So no more smack talking Lisa, all right? I didn't smack talk her. I merely drew attention to the fact that she won a lot of Logies. She did and well deserved. I didn't say anything bad about Lisa McHugh. Are you saying it was rigged? Oh my God. But she didn't have any competition? What do you have, barbed wire and urethra? What's your problem, man? I just love Lisa McLoon. <laughs> What's her name? M- Lisa McLoon. Really, is that her name? Because it's not her fucking name. It's Lisa McCune. Lisa <laughs> McCune. If you loved her, you would know what her well, name was. I call her Lisa McLoon. It's, it's <laughs> our like, our, uh, okay, hey, Clooney, come here. And she goes, hey, Barney, hey, baby. Did she call you hey, Fonzie Cl- hey, Block? Hey, yeah. We've got special names for each other. So fuck you. <laughs> well, there you have it, people. Barney loves Lisa McCune. Yeah, she's all right. Oh, don't backtrack now. It's too late. You can't unring that McCune. Nah, she's no Denise Drysdale. Oh, just nah. Don't go Dutch nah. and Ding Dong. Mm, just don't go. Don't 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 go douching Ding Dong on don't my watch. Don't go touching Ding Dong. <laughs> she will come for you in the night time. In the night time, not she doesn't do anything during the day. Oh, she's busy. She's on some like show where they yeah. have lots of like cooking segments, isn't she? Hey, Denise, Barney's been smack-talking you. What time is it? <laughs> oh, it's two in the afternoon. Oh, I'd get up that fucking early. Good night time. Oh, in eight hours, I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> when the sun sets in the west and I have my... Then my, I will end Barney. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a nice counter meal, then maybe taking a show. Then oh. I'm going to end Barney. <laughs> Was Toots a rodeo clown? That's the name of my fourth album. I tearfully asked that question in musical form. Oh, come on. How? I need to hear some of that. Was Toots a rodeo clown? <laughs> Did the bulls turn him upside down? <laughs> well, I don't need to buy the album now, do I? <laughs> well, you know the answer. He wasn't. Toots was not a rodeo clown. <laughs> I, I, I did like that song, though. It was hauntingly beautiful. She tried to live at her parents for a while, but yeah. uh, they were... Daddy! Was, Daddy, can I have a $20 to go and get some ice? She's not English. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, can I have $20 no, to go and get some ice? also not Irish. Daddy, can I have some $20 to go and get some ice? Daddy, give me some money so I can get some drugs. I need them. Come on, please, Daddy, please. Well, apparently her parents were very supportive and tried to do their best to help her, but... They thought that enabling her was not the right thing to do. Yeah, so okay. they, they, yeah, they didn't like her there. They're just lucky she didn't have him killed. <laughs> they had they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. 